says what? The Bible says what? The Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says what? Well, hey, 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 grace and peace. Welcome to the Bible Says What podcast. My name is Paul DeZay from Columbus, Indiana, and this is... I am John Gibson, pastor, the pastor John Gibson from Living Hope Church and in the OHIO. Here we are again, man. Hey, we are super excited to be back, and uh, thank you as always for all the listeners out there checking us out, supporting the podcast. We appreciate you. We recognize that there's a million podcasts for you to listen to, and we appreciate you choosing this particular one to listen. I, I tell you, I don't know about you, John, but I, every week I get another email or something from someone who's checking this out and is uh, on the same page with the questions. And it's always good to know that you're not alone when you're wrestling with the Bible. Absolutely. I have yet to receive any hate mail, so... That's always good. <laughs> Guess what, dude? You're going to get it now. You're going to get it. I'm, I've got the forward button sent straight to you. Oh, really? Uh, okay. No, it's, it's been great. I, yeah, I've, I had a breakfast with someone a couple weeks ago who listened to a podcast, and I think I shared a little bit about that story, and he, he just was so grateful to feel like he wasn't, you know, hadn't having to hide in the closet anymore because of some of the questions he had uh, about faith and about the Bible and so that's really great, great to hear, and uh, we're just continually excited about um, giving people, giving you all, listeners, permission to not be afraid of your questions and your doubts and your wonderings. We think it leads to deeper faith with Jesus. Uh, doubts lead to deeper faith. That's kind of a weird thing, but I really do think authentic questioning are, is a good thing. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I do. I think that doubting is the pathway to faith. I like that. That's good. Yeah. So today we got another question. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? And lay it on me. We've had some doozies lately. So lay this one on me. What are we talking about today? Uh, so here's the question. How were the books of the Bible chosen? Huh. That seems less doom filled. Yeah, it's better than, some than of hell the last week. <laughs> Oh my gosh, how are the books, I guess this is important because uh, there's other books of that were written at the time, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, the, you know, infancy of Jesus, I think, which, which was also Thomas, I've been doing some research, you know, the Book of Enoch, there's, there's several that are out there hanging out, so why aren't they included, why are the ones we have included, which ones are the Bible, do we add any later, can, you know, like, can we... Can tomorrow, I write something like, tomorrow yeah. <laughs> and put it in there? There's lots of good books out there right now. Why don't we just throw them in? That's a good question, you know? Absolutely. What's going on with that deal? Kind of reminds me of, I love to read. I know you like to read too, Paul. But I am a, like a fantasy science fiction nut. I love it. Yep. And my favorite series, have you ever, I know you've read the first book we were just talking about this, The Wheel of Time. As great, the wheel great. turns, it almost sounds like this. What was that soap opera? As the the sands of time turn, uh, I don't I don't claim to have watched any of those with my wife ever. Uh, anyway, the Wheel of Time was written by Robert Jordan. If you don't know the book series, it's huge, expansive thing. But he it took him so long to write it that he died, like not finished. And all of us Wheel of Time nerds, I'm assuming, we're like freaking out. You know, what are, what are we going to do? It's, there's only 10 books and they're supposed to be 13. And they pick some new guy to write the rest of the, the deal. And I, I remember reading when this first came out, like, he is going to ruin it. This is not the Wheel of Time. I don't care if he wrote it from its notes. It's not 
the deal, you know, and it kind of reminds me of this question. Uh, how do you add stuff or not add stuff? What was, who was the author? Who wasn't, how, how did the books of the Bible get there? It's kind of an interesting conversation. Well, I do have to add. So I'm a fantasy science fiction nerd as well, and I love to read. And the guy who kind of piggybacked on uh, Robert Jordan was a guy named Brandon Sanderson, who's written just oh some amazing... The Cosmere, mis- yeah, this is what thing. Yeah, the yeah. Mistborn and all this stuff. And so when it comes to this particular metaphor of that, um, you know, there's a lot of good books that are out there that have good content, we're going to get into that, that can help us. But the real question is, and with the, you know, Wheel of Time, the core material is from that particular author. And it's different than the add-on. And we're going to talk about that with the Apocrypha, is that there is uh, some source material that we have determined to be the canon. And then there's some other stuff out there. Some of it's decent stuff to read to help you, but maybe not in the same level as the core stuff that we call canon. And canon, where let's just be clear, we're not talking about big things that explode like balls of lead on our brains, right? Well, we could. We could, could <laughs> add that in there because that would be For fun. all those non-academic folks yeah, like yeah. me out there, the biblical canon, what so are we talking me, about? Yeah, so let me ask you a question here about books and stuff. I mean, I, I always learn that you're not supposed to add any books to the, the Bible. Nothing should be added. How were you raised when it comes to that stuff? Well, I was always given this uh, passage of scripture, actually, it's kind of funny, from Revelation twenty-two eighteen, And I'm just going to read it because it's scary. <laughs> it says, I warn anyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. If anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. And I, I, so completely out of context of this passage of scripture, but I heard this many times as a child in context of how do we know if the Bible is the Bible? And it says, well, the Bible is the Bible. And if you add anything or take it away, you better run the other direction because bad stuff will happen to you. Um, so that was the, I have this vivid memory of, for some reason, of this scripture being told to me by someone. I don't even know who it was. But we have some very strong feelings about what the Bible is and what it isn't, um, and what's in it and what shouldn't be in it, right? So I, I had a, I have a story when it comes to this. about, about uh, I was early in the ministry, and I had a person who was a pastor of another church meet with me. And it was a couple, and they met with me to explain how the King James uh, Bible was the only Bible. And they read that passage that you just read, and it just, this just popped in my head. This isn't part of our, our agenda today. But they, they told me, as they read the scripture, that the King James Bible has verses in it that other translations have taken out. And again, new, new translation, new scholarship and stuff like that. They remove different ideas that aren't in the scholarship, that aren't in the current documents. This particular person was saying they're removing from the Bible and they read this passage. So all the other translations are bad. King James only is good. So anyway, That's that came funny to that, you, that this connected to your story too. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. So what, you know, what is the Bible is important what books are in the Bible. So that's what we're going to address and how it was picked and all that kind of stuff. So why don't you, why don't you get us started, uh, Pastor Gibson? Well, I think it's important to start, for me anyway, it's important to start with why is this important? Because we, we've said this before um, when we're talking about the Bible, 
it's not just a collection of books. It's it's not just you know stories, but there's there's a divine element within the scriptures, and that's why what what makes this conversation so important is because it matters what's in the Bible, and it matters how we got to the Bible that we read today because we believe in that God is in it. You know, and passages like Second Timothy three sixteen come to mind. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Second Peter one twenty one. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We and all all throughout Scripture, and even Jesus and his interactions with Torah and uh, connecting his teaching to the teachings of Torah. We believe that the Bible begins with this collection that is inspired by the Word of God. We talked about what inspiration is all about a couple episodes ago. So it's important for us to know the, the how so we understand the why. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That it matters. This, this conversation matters because we believe the Bible is inspired by God. Somebody didn't just, you know, do like pin the tail on the donkey and say, I'm going to pick this, this, and this, and this one. And if we don't have a, a really good understanding of how the Bible was put together, how do we get to the place where we just blindly assume that it was all inspired? I think it, it matters for us. So I, I kind of want to, to hopefully begin the conversation with the how, you know, how did the Old Testament, how was it formed? How was the New, the New Testament formed? And kind of, there's a whole ton of content, right? We can't cover it all in one episode, but maybe we can kind of inform ourselves a little bit about um, the how how was the Bible put together? So maybe begin with the Old Testament and what was going on with that. So, you know, this is great. The Old Testament, when you talk about the uh, books of the Old Testament, if you had asked a rabbi how many books are in the Hebrew Bible, what we would call the Old Testament, the rabbi would tell you 24. If you had asked a Catholic priest how many books are in the Old Testament, they would tell you 46. If you ask an Eastern Orthodox priest dude how many books are in the Old Testament, they would tell you 49 or 50 depending on which one. And if you ask somebody like me, uh, I'll say 39 in the Old Testament. And so <laughs> there's a lot of diversity here, man. There's a lot of people uh, if in different streams of Christianity who have different versions of the Old Testament. So this word canon is very, very important. And the word canon means measuring rod or ruler. And uh, the process of picking the books in the Bible is called canonization. And uh, canonization. Canon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And so there's two things here we got to know. First is the process took a long time to figure out which books are in the Bible. And second, there are multiple books available for consideration, and many of them didn't make the cut, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of letters and books out there, Old Testament, New Testament, that didn't make the cut. And specifically in the Old Testament, we've talked about this in past episodes, that this process even began with first oral tradition. Uh, these, these manuscripts that we now have in written form didn't, didn't begin by you know, some dude in a, in a cave writing them down and saying, oh, here's the, here's the Old Testament passages. These were the, the lives and the stories of the Israelite people uh, who passed them down orally and then eventually were written and then were eventually chosen as authoritative or measuring rods or rulers. Um, and I think it's also important to note that we, we do have a Hebrew faith. We have a Jewish faith of our foundation. So they had a, a very a specific idea of what 
the sections of Scripture were. Mainly three of them, three major sections of Scripture were the Torah, teaching of the law, the Nevi'im, the prophets, the major and minor prophets, and the Ketuvim, which were the writings. So let's talk about that a little bit, because that was kind of a refresher for me, Paul, even in how the Hebrew people understood the Scriptures and how that comes to life in the Old Testament, which we hold today. Yeah, I mean, so if you take a look at the Old Testament, uh, we organize, as Protestants, organize the Old Testament differently than the Hebrew the Jewish people. They separate the Old Testament in three sections, as John just said, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. And they believe that there's a descending uh, aspect of authority. And so the Torah is the most authoritative, the first five books uh, of the Bible. Genesis, and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You got it, man. The Boom. The Pass the pastoral test. Yeah, yeah. Now let's do it. Let's do the prophets. Can you name them? Yeah, you no. list them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the Torah was first considered the prophecy, the book of Moses, that uh, that was the core, right? And then second, secondly is the prophets and then the writings, which is the Psalms and all that. And they kind of viewed that in a sense of authority, but they put the things together in different order than we do, but it's the same books. So they might put First and Second Chronicles together as one book, for example. I don't know if that's true or not because I can't remember that. But they would put things together and organize differently, but it's the same books and from the Hebrew Bible, Hebrew Bible to what we refer to as the Old Testament. They have 24 total books and we have 39, but it's the same books. Yeah, really important point. And these books were written roughly between 1450 and 164 B.C., right? Yeah. And I think this is interesting, too, that it's believed that canonization took place in stages. Like you, you mentioned that before, that this is a long process of time. They didn't just have a lunch one day and decide this is what the Bible is going to be. The Israelites, uh, earlier Israelites, recognized the inspiration and authority of the Torah, like you said, first, then the prophets, and then lastly, the writings. Uh, but we don't know very much about the actual process that took place with, right. within, like, officially recognizing that this was the Old Testament canon. Yeah. And there's been debate, too. I mean, even in the first couple centuries uh, A.D., uh, there was uh, arguments amongst the rabbi, debates amongst the rabbis to determine which one should be included. So this is a process. And one of the things I really want to stress, I think that we want to stress, is this wasn't done by some guy by himself in a room and said, this is it, this isn't it. This is, this is the community of faith as a group over a period of time. Uh, picking and choosing. When we get to the New Testament section, we'll kind of tell you how it kind of how books surface to the to the top. But this was done in community, so you get thousands and thousands and thousands of people discussing and praying and working together. This is how God chose to work in that time, and this is still how God works today. He works through the body of Christ to communicate His message. Yeah, super important. Not just one person. I think we get in trouble when we go off on our own. You know, and that's why tradition, one of the uh, quadrilateral uh, from our Wesleyan roots, we can talk about that maybe someday in a, another episode, but that's why tradition is so important to our faith because it connects us to uh, those groups in the past that were a part of the formation of our belief and doctrine, um, but, but they lived and uh, breathed and, and talked together, that community formed uh, the authority of scripture. So they, they came around these books and these stories that uh, they believed to be inspired and moments of divine connection between humanity and, and God. 
And it, like you said, it, I think it's so important for us to know it wasn't just some dude sitting somewhere in a cave deciding this is it. And we get in trouble when we do that anytime, you know. So those are the books that we, we have as the, the Bible. Are there other books that kind of didn't make the cut in the Old Testament? Yeah, yeah. It's something called the Apocrypha, which means it's a Greek word for hidden, hidden which these are the hidden books. It sounds kind of mysterious. It does. It does. Right? Like <laughs> enticing. Well, I want to read the hidden books of the Bible. What now, do they I have, have a few, for me today? I have a few Bibles, uh, Protestant Bibles, that do have the Apocrypha in it, but I can yep. be honest and say I've never really studied them or read them. I have a hard enough time just studying the regular scriptures, you know, the Protestant <laughs> right. scriptures, to give enough time to, uh, to the Apocrypha. But I'm very interested in it, to be honest with you. I'm very interested in the hidden books. Um, but if you if you talk to Eastern Orthodox churches uh, like the Greek or the Russian, Syrian, Ethiopian, they have a different canon that includes these extra books, right? So what are the books of the Apocrypha? Just so for those that have no clue what we're talking about right now. So there's 15 of them. And I don't let's, think we have them listed. I don't think I we just have put them you on the spot. Yeah, I don't have well, them listed. Well, like, well, well the wisdom of, of Solomon is one of them. Sirach is another one. Uh, and so those are two, but I don't think we have them listed in our notes well, here. Well, you give me three seconds with the miracle. I will of... keep talking. <laughs> All right, let's let's see here. Um, where is it at? I can't. You think I could use the Google machine? Oh. First book of Esdras, the yeah. second book of Esdras, the rest of the chapters of the book of Esther, also called the Greek editions. Um, to Esther, the book of Barak. Oh, let me go down through the list here. I'm trying to find my... There's a lot of them. The epistle uh, of Jeremiah, sometimes called the chip, uh, chapter 6 of Barak. Yeah. Yeah. Google's kind of confusing. Well, there's a lot of them. And so if you uh, talk to the Eastern Orthodox Roman Catholic, as well as the Anglican and Episcopalian, they refer to the Apocrypha as the uh, Deuterocanonical, which means second canon. Yeah. And they do not believe, and this is, this is super important, that they hold the same level of inspiration or authority as the rest of the Old Testament and New Testament. So this is a secondary kind of set of groupings. They're, they're helpful. I mean, well, they, they have got, value. Yeah, they have value, but they're not canon. They're right. secondary. And I think it's important to recognize that, you know, just because our Catholic brothers and sisters or Eastern Orthodox have these extra books doesn't mean that they're keeping them at the same level of priority as the, the ones that we've declared as canon. Uh, they've just included books and say, hey, these are helpful. Now, we might do something like that today, right? We could say John Wesley's works, right, are important and they should be read and studied. Uh, they're not canon, but they're important. And so um, we might say that today. Say, hey, here's some extra stuff that would be good accessory to help you understand some of the others. Uh, I think we're not that's saying a, that, by the way, but that would be just right. an example. But that's an important thing to recognize, too, that this Apocrypha, they're hidden, these hidden books. I think sometimes we get afraid of them as if somehow they'll, you know, um, lead us astray. Taint or lead us astray. Now, there were some some books, uh, when we get to this New Testament conversation, there were some books that were left mm-hmm. out because they were viewed to be heretical, uh, sure. Gnostic in ways. So I, I think there's a difference, and we have to, in the midst of this conversation, we do have to be careful and recognize which books have value. And, and we do that today, too. Which books have value to teach and 
um, challenge me in my faith, but also which books maybe don't have value and they lead me to a place that isn't healthy and isn't lining up uh, with the way that Scripture points us to. And, and I think that's why it's so important that, that Scripture is our authority and it's the thing in, with which all other things are measured and weighed, right? Yeah, um, but sure. to not to not have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, we don't we don't have to say don't read the apocrypha, be afraid of it, uh, or any books today for that matter. But it is important to recognize um, that we we have to live in that tension too. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, the the church is continuing to grow and to learn, right? And so commentaries and books that are written today are good and helpful and important. And we refer to it as sacred reading. I mean, we we believe, and John Wesley was a big proponent of this, that people should be reading constantly. And just because something doesn't make the canon doesn't mean that it isn't important. Just not at the same level of important or authority. Uh, And the, the Apocrypha or these extra books that we see in the New Testament... They, they can be helpful at times, especially historical context. So let's jump over to the New Testament, John. So yeah. Let's. Of, let's help, help us out understanding how the New Testament books were chosen. All right, so 27 books of the New Testament canon were written roughly between 48 and 110 A.D., and the process of canonization was a little bit more specific than we have in the Old Testament. It was around 300 years in the making, but there was a definite time uh, when this kind of process began, right? Um, it was organically, the community worshipped, it was a communal formation, right? But uh, I believe it was around, what was it, 367 AD, that Bishop of Alexandria um, wrote a letter listing as authoritative the 27 books that we have today. And this Council of Nicaea was involved in uh, what were the New Testament canon was then more formally endorsed at the Council of Hippo, 393 AD, and the Council of Carthage. So what we see are these books of the New Testament chronicling the life of Jesus and the letters written to the church after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven were over time uh, passed around by the community. Community is very important, again, in this whole process of what is the authoritative word of God. And then eventually this formal process took place, you know, a couple hundred years after the time of Jesus to bring these books together and formalizing them as what we, what we have today as the New Testament canon. It's good, man. It's good. So there's some criteria that they used to determine which books were included. And there was five of them that uh, Adam Hamilton uh, shared in his great book, How to Make Sense of the Bible. And the first one is Usefulness. And uh, it was that particular book, Useful in Worship and Discipleship in the Local Church. Again, this is a couple hundred years of testing these books. And so if a particular book was useful, discipling people to become like Jesus, then it rose to the top. So usefulness. And if you remember, John read that passage from 2 Timothy 3.16, which talked about the usefulness of Scripture, that all Scripture is useful. Uh, the second criteria is consistency. So it had to line up with the apostles' message. The apostles were those original disciples, the ones that hung out with Jesus. And the message that they were sharing in the book of Acts these letters and books that were coming out in the New Testament had to kind of line up with that message. If it didn't line up with that message, if it was inconsistent, then it got thrown out, right? Uh, another one is association. Did those particular books, were they associated with the apostles? So the apostles, like Matthew, right? Uh, because he was an apostle, then his uh, work 
was valued at a greater weight than somebody who was not an apostle, somebody who wasn't hanging out with Jesus, right? So the association, who wrote the book and what was their connection to Jesus and the apostles? Uh, The fourth one is acceptance. Uh, Were they accepted already in the community? Like if, if there was a thousand house churches and 994 of them really, really were finding this connection with the gospel of Mark, right? Then, then there is this acceptance already within the body of Christ. And so that helped them pick what was going to be included in the canon. And last is inspiration. How is God already working in, in and through these books? Certain books rose up because they were uh, already considered inspired. They recognized that the Holy Spirit was bringing these words to life and helping people to be formed in the image of Christ. And so, of course, they said, absolutely, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? It's surprising to me, though, that many of us just kind of imagine that the Bible just appeared one day, right? The holy light of God came down and, oh, and then there it was, our Bible as we have it. But I think sometimes leaning into this process, the reality of how those scriptures were formed and brought together um, can sometimes be a little unsettling to followers of Christ and Christians in general, because we, we don't like to think of, because the process kind of, it, it could, it took a long time and it was messy and there was a lot going on and it kind of um, comes at our perception that this is just the way it's always been. And it, 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 even when we look at this reality that there were a lot of books in the New Testament that were disputed for a long time. You know, books like Hebrews, uh, there was no author attached to this writing. So was it, you know, a, the Apostle Paul uh, was proposed, uh, but many doubted that in the day. James was disputed. Uh, Second Peter was scrutinized because the difference in style from First Peter. I mean, all over the, there's lots of these books for a long time that were, they were criticized. Well, should they have their place in the scripture? And I don't know, let's talk about that a little bit, because that can kind of be unsettling. What do we do with that, that it didn't just appear? How is, how is that a good thing? You know, well, how does that grow our faith? So, you know, th- this is something that I, I love and value about the Jewish faith that carried over into the early church, is that idea of wrestling. They mm. wrestled over this over and over and over again. And, and, and the rabbis are wrestlers. And, you know, we talked about Israel. The word Israel means wrestling with God, right? So... They really wrestled and debated over this, and something emerges from that healthy debate, right? And so the early church did that too. They wrestled with it, like, Revelation, what do you do with that? And there was a lot of dispute over whether to include that. And and, and different points in my journey, I'd be like, yeah, throw it out, right? Now I love it. But, you know, it's one of those things that has to be debated and discussed, and we listen. And so I think that process of canonization is a great template for us to remember in the local church, that there's something valuable that comes through good, healthy debate and discussion and wrestling as a community of faith. And I believe the Bible is always meant to be interpreted in community. And so the canonization is an example of what that looks like. That's such a challenging idea because there's a lot of sentiment in our world today, especially with our current COVID situation, that you can be in relationship with God by yourself, closed in a room, you know, between you and God. And it can be challenging, but this kind of points us back to the to the need for and that God made us for community. He made us to be together, not only to be in relationship with him, but in order to understand who he is, we need one another. In order to 
understand how he is working and speaking into the world and interpreting those events and stories, we need one another. It's this beautiful partnership between us and God and between us and one another um, that leads us to understanding what God has to say. And, and even though today we have the Bible in its form, right? It's given to us, we have the, com- the completion of the canon, that we still need one another to properly understand the Bible. That's why we do this podcast, The Bible Says What? Because in this activity of wrestling, that it's not just something we do because it's fun, <laughs> we do it because we need one another to, to un- we need community to understand who God is and how he's working in the world. We need that accountability. We need one another when we're confused or when we're kind of leaning off another direction. It takes the community to, to come together and say, no, this is how we understand who God is, and this is the way, right? Ooh, this is the way. <laughs> Ooh, it is the way. Man, it is Lord, the way. Right? We need one another. That's right. Yeah, and so, you know, without the church, we don't have the Bible. Mm. That's kind of a scary statement. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's a great landing point for us, too. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, the church... We, us, the body of Christ, we work together to accomplish what God desires in the world. And so he gave these bodies of letters to the church, and God used the church to help clarify and to to put this thing together for us. And it's working. I mean, it is, and it has worked through time and and space, is that this canon, uh, God is using it to change the lives of people. Here at Living Hope, we use the word conversation. You know, this this back and forth relationship that I speaks I, I believe speaks so beautifully to what God is doing in us, you know. Uh, that God is speaking into our lives and but conversation it, it kind of assumes that it's a two way process. And I think when God enters in it's a three way process, you know, God and us and us and one another. And uh, we are all the time sharing with folks that they're an integral part in understand in our conversation on Sunday morning. Even they're an inter- their life is an integral part in bringing to life the truth of the scriptures because God is speaking in them, He's speaking in me, and He's speaking to us together. And from start to finish, really, that's a reflection of what the Bible is about. It's a partnership Absolutely. between God and His church. And this it shouldn't be a surprise that God is relational from the beginning. So why would He be relational? when it comes to forming the canon and giving us his inspired word that leads us and directs us to be the best version of ourselves, the community of faith that we can be and that he made us to be. Pretty right. powerful stuff. That's good, man. So it's okay to go out there and read the Shepherd of Hermas or the Epistle of Barnabas or the Apocalypse of Peter. It's okay to read those books, uh, but they're not the rule, the ruler, the straight mm-hmm. line, the canon. Uh, you know, it's different and that's okay. It's okay. There's other books that are out there that might give us some clues, give us some history, and then also some contrast. We might read something in like the gospel of Thomas and say, Ooh, that doesn't line up with the message of Jesus. And that's okay. So it's important for us to be able to trust the process. Yeah. Good stuff, man. This has just been a really good uh, conversation and I'm I'm thankful that we have a space here, Paul, to just give, if anything, and we talk about this a lot, to give people permission to not be afraid of these kind of things, you know, to not be afraid of these conversations because they don't taint our souls. What they do is um, maybe they challenge the status quo a little bit and force us to learn. I know I've learned a lot just in uh, putting the podcast together and having these conversations with you, Paul. It, It just pushed me to know and grow, you know? 
And I think it's such an important part of uh, what we want this podcast to become is really to give people permission to wrestle, you know, and have conversation and not to fear that, uh, but to lean into it. Yeah. And there's a, there's a body out there for you to be a part of. And, you know, it's important that God has a space for you in a local church. And God, God desires for you to be a part of it. Uh, the church needs you. You need the church. Uh, we all need one another. So, and uh, maybe today's uh, podcast and talking about how the Bible was put together, maybe will inspire you to give church another chance. Because uh, yeah. amazing things happen through the church. I mean, some bad things do too. We know that. Uh, but God is using the church. And, and maybe the church is what you really have been looking for. And uh, so give it a shot. We meet Jesus there, right? Absolutely. Suppose, hopefully, hopefully, that's our prayer for you. <laughs> yeah. Is that you meet Jesus there for sure. So. Well, this has been another interesting conversation, and we are so glad that you took the time to join us on. The Bible says what? We hope that it's tickled your brains and stirred your souls, and most of all, connected you more deeply to Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. We hope that you'll join us for another exciting episode. On the Bible says what podcast as we dig into another interesting topic. What is that topic going to be, Paul? I know we are looking for more people to give us more questions. If that's you today listening on the podcast, be sure to send us a message and tell us what you would like us to talk about. But what are we going to talk about next is, week, Paul? Are you ready? Here we go. Is there a rapture? <laughs> Whenever Paul picks the questions. <laughs> Is there a rapture? Will there be a rapture where the believers uh, in Jesus Christ will be taken away to heaven? And will there be a tribulation on earth, you know, for those that are left behind? Some so. good, ooh, left behind. Good, some good end times conversation. We will, we will definitely have our left behind commentaries out. <laughs> I hope I didn't offend anybody just now, but... <laughs> But yes, end times conversations, that, that is good stuff. Yep. Uh, so, you know, that's going to be some fun stuff. I can't wait, man. I'm looking forward to, to it as well. I'm Pastor John. And I'm Pastor Paul. We'll see you next time. Grace and peace upon you. The Bible says what? The Bible says what? Uh, the Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says what?